she's pouring from the sky, stash some chips up, no fear of missing out, I'm about to dip and flip, what, now pump it up and double up is what we hit, what, 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 this is it, what, Satoshi's pouring from the sky, stash some chips up, no fear of missing out, I'm about to dip and flip, what, now pump it up and double up is what we hit, what, Welcome to 21ism.com, Sound Culture Renaissance. We curate, craft and amplify Bitcoin-inspired creativity. We do this through art, design, word, code, music, video and memes. Featuring in our code category this month is Paul Itoy. Paul has been making serious waves these last few months in the Bitcoin space and been blowing all of our minds in the process. Uh, this is, of course, mainly to do with uh, his project, Sphinx Chat. Incredible potential. Um, speaking to him to find out more, to hear his story, is our boy Max. Go find Paul on Twitter and say hi. Go check out Sphinx, have a play about, and come and join us in the 21ism drive. Hey, Paul, how are you doing? Hey, how are you, Max? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for joining me today. It's been nice chatting to you a couple of times over the past few months and getting to know you a little bit and really, really proud to be featuring you for 21ism Block 8. We all, as a collective, the six of us are all in love with what you're doing. We really see that it is something important for the space and basically like the way that you're going about it in a non shitcoiny proper bitcoin way building on lightning and pushing the space forward so yeah really really pleased to have you on and uh, looking forward to the chat and, and seeing what you're doing well likewise i love what you guys are doing um i've i used to be an art major so when i saw your site for the first time i was blown away and you rarely see this level of quality of design out there so appreciate what you guys are doing as well Thank you. Yeah, we, we think it's important to, you know, show what's going on in the space and explain to people who are coming in, like, this is not just about number go up. This is a whole movement. This is a whole scene of artists, developers, memers, people who care deeply about making some changes and care deeply about freedom. And all we're trying to do is show it off in the best light and capture it each month. So we have a reference point to go back and people can go, oh my God, you know, this is what it was like in, in the early days. And, uh, you know, before everyone was using it. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's important that we document how this thing moves, how this thing grows. And uh, yeah, really, really gets the heart of the culture. Well, I love also how you divide it where it's not, necessarily one medium that you're covering it because you really can't predict what will capture this moment we all know we're in the middle of something huge and i've always just with an art background wondered about the people who do the best job of kind of capturing the time that they're in uh, i used to sit with my wife and some friends in san francisco if people are from north beach there they know this little bar called vesuvio's which was back when the beatniks were there and so you're sitting there picturing these guys writing back whenever they were 60s or whatever and writing the poetry. And did they think they were capturing the moment at that time or did they did they not? Were they aware? Um, and mm. did they, you know, and I keep thinking about it now. Who's doing the thing and expressing 
what we're all seeing in this change. And then later on, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, we'll all look back and say, yeah, that person really nailed the moment. And if we don't know <laughs> if that, will that be visual art? Will that be a piece of code? Will that be a software architecture? I really don't know. It, it'll be something that other people can appreciate and, um, and maybe a time capsule that's designed now and you see it in 20 years and you experience this moment today, it's kind of preserved for that later moment. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, I see it all as art. I see code as art as well, the way people are thinking, the way people are collaborating and anything worthwhile tends to generally take some time and thought and, you know, whatever your medium is, whether it be paint, music or code or memes, you're trying to put something out into the world that either doesn't currently exist or not in the form that you think it should or feel would be exciting or useful and that's where all this creativity is coming from I feel is just because there's so many people with so much passion and hope and that creates things that you don't see in normal sort of fiat culture it, it's very very different to what I see outside of this world and you know that is something I'm seeing certainly with Sphinx and the ideas that uh, that you're coming up with and the way that you're looking at doing things seems to me that you can, sounds like a little bit arrogant to say, but like see the future. You see where all this is going and you're, you're taking these ideas and you're making them usable. And that's particularly exciting to me. You know, maybe we're a little, little bit further away from it being accessible to everyone, but I'm seeing ideas that were being talked about a few years ago now actually be accessible if you can be bothered to do it and that's really fucking cool that's that's really uh something that stands out to me yeah it's it definitely is a leap of faith I and mean, we i mean for um just to go over what sphinx is i mean for anyone who hasn't heard of it it's um we built a messaging system that sits on top of the bitcoin lightning network so if you think of the foundation being the Bitcoin main chain, you open up channels to note between nodes on the lightning network. So you have this, the built in peer to peer aspects and sound money of Bitcoin supporting the more real time exchange of value on the lightning network with improved privacy, and just more flexibility at that second layer, the layered approach to money. And then Sphinx really sits one layer on top of the lightning network, and lets you put information into a lightning payment. And that information can be a link to a meme. It can be a message to your wife. It can be a payment with Satoshis. And the crazy part is you can now send thoughts, uh, art, and value and money anywhere in the world instantly. And I do it dozens and hundreds of times a day. And in our own development team, we've actually replaced all of the tools that you might use out there in a traditional company like Slack or Zoom or for, for meetings or for phone calls. And we do 99% uh, of our communications uh, through the Lightning Network using Sphinx as a front end. So um, I think many people have tried it out as a messaging system who are familiar with Lightning, but we haven't really scratched the surface on what the Lightning Network can do. And it's just a matter of what we can support in the front end. And, um, but the technology is there. And we started building this well before the technology could support it. And maybe that links back to the creativity part. But if you were, I used to do a lot of oil painting when I was younger. 
And in order to oil paint, you have to think about the layers of color you're using. You can't, it's not like a thick acrylic. You, you, the style I was trying to do is more of, um, thin varnishes of color that when light goes through six or seven layers of color, you get this kind of interaction that you can't get in just one hue that you paint mm -hmm. on, on mass. And so if you, I was never good at it, so I'm not trying to say I'm good at this, but the whole goal <laughs> in game is you are layering color and the color you put in first is the one that is the most subtle because it might end up between eight, eight or nine different layers. I mean, if you look at uh, Michelangelo's skin, the way he handles skin, um, that's the kind of maybe the level of mastery that people try to get to where you can't quite tell where does that glow come from. It's because the light's going through multiple layers of color mm -hmm. and it's interacting in, in a way that um, mimics uh, maybe an emotional interpretation of what we see out there. So the same thing with software and with um, any type of design work, you really want to think about well, what's the end goal? What am I really trying to do? What are the tools available? How do you build these layers, even if one or two of the layers are missing, which was the case for us? We started building this before light, the Lightning Network could support spontaneous payments, which are called Keysend. So before with Lightning, I would you always have to have an invoice. So in order, Max, for me to pay you, you would have to create an invoice, give me the invoice over some other network email or text message or whatever, then I would get that invoice and I would pay it and then you would receive the payment. And so it had to be first triggered by you requesting money. And that has a lot of benefits and there are a lot of great things about it. But imagine if we were trying to do some sort of commerce or meet on a marketplace hmm. or do a message. If I were trying to message you, I couldn't ask you, Hey, can you send me this receipt so I can send you a message? Mm -hmm. defeats the whole purpose. So we actually built the software front end first and did it backwards because the lightning layer itself didn't support the key technology that we needed. And then lightning labs came out with it um, a little over a year ago, it was merged into production. And then we've been working on it, the actual system ever since then. So this has been multiple years in the making. Um, but we've just been layering on those uh, thin layers of paint one day at a time. <laughs> It's interesting you say you've done the front end before the back end because you're waiting for the technology to catch up effectively with your vision. Is that something that you knew was going to happen looking at it technically where you were like, I can just see that this is going to be possible? Or how did you judge that? Because to a lot of people, that would be an enormous leap to put in all this effort on design and creating something where the technology is not there yet. You're doing it the other way around to what most people would do. Most people wait until it's there. They think it's solid. They've been told by enough people that this is going to work and then they do it and then they're too late. You've actually gone about it the other way around. And that's why, you know, it's the first thing that I've seen this in this space where, I mean, granted, mine isn't working at the moment because I'm an idiot and I've done something wrong, but I have had it working. And when I've had Sphinx working, it blows my mind. Like it properly blows my mind. It's the first thing with Lightning that has done that because it's slick, it's accessible. You can do the messaging, you can do a call through Jitsi. I've had people send me boosts on my pod and that kind of stuff. And I was just like, this is wild. This is so ahead of its time. This is when when the world catches up to the way that you're thinking and what's possible. 
it's just going to change so fast. It, it, it's amazing. So how did that happen? And was it scary to take that punt? Or did it not even feel like one? Yeah, it, it was. I mean, we don't, you sound like a crazy person when you talk about something like this that doesn't exist. And so we actually, mm. I brought it up with a couple people. And I think it sounded so much like I was trying to pitch an ICO or something. This is back in 2018 when I was exploring how possible was this on the Lightning Network. I went to a meetup in, mm -hmm. in New York that was sponsored by Fulmo. And I brought it up with a couple of people and they literally turned around and walked away like I didn't. <laughs> it was really <laughs> odd. And I was completely new to the space, nervous uh, about meeting people, didn't know anything about Bitcoin. Um, really, I mean, I, I mean, compared to now, it was just... Uh, it was it was pretty funny and and culturally i just was it was you know still not 100 percent understanding all the different mm -hmm. cultural aspects of it but uh when i brought up hey i think you could do this it sounded like such an ethereum style kind of idea <laughs> or something i think people just wanted to get away from me as fast as possible so um but i mean we kept on working on it but we would never bring it up really i called it an off-label use of lightning and we were very hesitant. Mm -hmm. And we actually moved too slowly because I think I was a little bit oversensitive to offending people talking about this idea. And so, but I will say that people have been phenomenal about being receptive to things once you can touch and play with something, right? Once you can see it on your screen, you got the Satoshis, right? You possess those Satoshis. You, you saw them instantly come in. Once people experience that, it's kind of like, I mean, I hear the same thing people talk about strike or feeding the chickens, right? You have that aha moment of, I just, something happened in the real world on my phone. I mean, granted, it's on your phone, but so you personally experience something in the real time nature of this thing. And you already have an appreciation for what lightning is. There's kind of no going back. It's the way I felt when I first opened and, you know, looked at an iPhone back in the day. And then what primed me to, to um, work on this sort of in a leap of faith was that seeing the internet happen, really the web happen in the 90s, it was just uh, no one believed that you would be doing um, hosted applications. So I started a company in nine, late 96 that was running Perl code on servers. And then all of the functionality we believe would move from your local computer to a central server back like a, almost like a mainframe. And then the browser was this kind of universal client that was just a window into all of the power that was working on a central computer. And bandwidth is really what allows that. If it was slow, then it would be a horrible experience. But it made mm. sense for companies, and we worked, ironically, in the advertising industry. Um, so I, was, I used to draw pictures for um, ad concepts and, and do account management, all sorts of things in advertising. So taking that understanding, applying it to software and saying, hey, what software does the advertising industry need? Well, when you do a photo shoot in the Caribbean and you want to get the photo proofs back to Manhattan to show to the client who's not sitting in the Caribbean, how would you do that prior to the internet? You are, what, air FedExing physical negatives mm. back to a, a shop that's going to develop your film and show it? That's days and days, right? And now you have people mm -hmm. camped out there waiting for approval. So we built some of the first 
systems that would do what's now called digital asset management. And so you could move photos anywhere in the world back to the office. And we had little compact iPacks from the 90s and the clients, we would give those to clients and they would be able to tap and see their ad proofs or we would show safe. Um, I think it was Chrysler was a client and we would show Ford ads to the Chrysler client on their little compact iPack. So the Ford motor company, Ford motor company would run some big promotion in LA and the client in New York would see it that same day. Back in the nineties, mm-hmm. that was literally like you were saying about Sphinx. That was mind blowing that they could pull something out of their pocket and see a newspaper ad that happened 3000 miles away in color. Mm-hmm. Um, and so seeing that and seeing people react, it, this was easy because you could just say, well, we have a huge problem with centralized systems, Facebook, Google, you know, Twitter, Instagram, they're all facing the same problem where they are trying to be the underlying technology platform. And this was as bad as it was in 2018 is worse now is just how the heck do you, how do you edit the world's thoughts? Hey, this is okay mm-hmm. to say on our platform. This isn't. I, I I emphasize I empathize with those people saying, but how how can you have the hubris to believe you can keep up with that? Much less be right. Mm. Even to show the pretense is impossible. Yeah, it's it's a scary idea to have people censoring what people are saying. It's it's like there's that saying, isn't it? It's like the, the best thing for bad speech is more speech. And it seems that it's become accepted by most people that we should be censoring and and that we just allow a certain group of people to censor. And um, to your point, you know, it wasn't possible to send these uh, photos back from the Caribbean instantly. It just wasn't thinkable. Uh, Now it is. And, you know, a few years ago, it wasn't thinkable to have a value transfer that can go anywhere in the world and no one can stop and it's peer to peer and no one could realistically think that you could send fractions of a penny or you know tiny amounts and have it confirm and you you actually own it and it still blows my mind to this point and seeing it in a slick usable interface just makes me think i don't know how these other companies eventually compete when people work it out when people understand uh how much of a change this is um you know how do you see that happening do you think that there's going to be some of the big players are going to try and compete or do they realize that their whole business model is to uh to hold the keys for you and uh and and use you as the product probably the closest and i'm not a big social person i don't tweet or do anything like that i don't have facebook or anything but to me the closest is twitter they understand because they are so about the ideas, right? I mean, they are about mm-hmm. sharing. It's almost, I find so much value in Twitter. It took me so long to understand the value, but I picture kind of, let's say you've got one of those old fashioned diagrams of your brain where they used to think that certain topics lived in different parts of your brain. So I, I still have yeah. that kind of old fashioned view of my brain where I'm interested in surfing or hunting or whatever. And I'm interested in Bitcoin or Lightning. And so with Twitter, you're able to kind of jack in or Neuralink the best thinking and arguments in the world on whatever topic and filter feed off of those exchanges and jack that into different parts of your brain. I mean, that's an incredible hack to absorb Mm -hmm. 
this kind of whatever has survived this melee of ideas getting to your brain and and then you make the decision based on I only sort of believe it after I've seen people who know more about it than me hash it out in a logical way, kind of believing that if they can't explain it in a way that I understand, they probably don't know what they're talking about if I look at it for long enough, right? If, you know, you know, when you just have people who can argue a topic, even if it's something that's very technical or very specific to a field, mm -hmm. um, you can follow the logic tree at least. And then you can see when mm -hmm. people resort to, um, all the logical fallacies that happen in arguments, you kind of go red flag that person and say, hey, they ran out of ideas and they resorted to uh, sort of these uh, fallacies for the, to support their or to, to fill their airspace. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I feel like the ability, so I feel like Twitter is probably the closest in wanting to decentralize things. I don't know if they've made any progress on that front. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I agree. I, I never saw any value in Twitter for a long time. Then I lurked for, you know, six months to a year. And then I was like, oh, no, I get it. Like, I, I can see this now. And the idea and, and the way that these discussions happen is really, really good. It's the only social media I actually enjoy. And like you say, it's because you can just learn, you know, you, you can lurk if you want to, or you can get involved and you can sharpen your ideas. And um, it's, it's a very, very good place or has been a very, very good place for me trying to wrap my head around some of these ideas. Was it something that you used? Because I think you said 2017, you were getting involved and uh, interested in you know, speaking to people about the ideas that you've now built. How early in that process was it for you? And were you active on Twitter to try and wrap your head around it? Or is this something that just automatically made sense to you as soon as you heard it because of previous experiences? Well, I was exposed to the Bitcoin. Uh, I was exposed to Bitcoin ideas a long time ago. Um, and just someone trying to explain it to me, typical story of not getting it, not absorbing it, but just interacting with anything that's new in tech. So, you know, nine years ago or so. Um, and mm -hmm. then didn't really, I didn't even know that blockchain, the concept came from Bitcoin, but kind of dove into a research project in 2015 um, around using um how to fix the domain registration system. My wife was working for Newstar uh, as a consultant and we were just doing a research piece and I was helping her out on the technical stuff. And that's when I started reading about sort of blockchain. And that was 2015, kind of early on the whole um, business on blo Bitcoin blockchain stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, didn't really just didn't really pay attention to it after that. But just it was one piece of the puzzle of looking at how blockchains work and then when, Oh, blockchains behind Bitcoin. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And then, um, a friend worked on Numeri, uh, an acquaintance worked on Numeri, not someone I knew closely, but, um, was exposed to kind of the whole, they were early in the ICO space and stuff and, um, just trying mm -hmm. to come up with other uses for it. Then looked at solidity and just didn't think it would work or scale. Then saw what crypto kitties kind of, under, underscored that weakness in the system and then kept looking around, mm -hmm. found the lightning white paper shortly afterwards and then um, started working on this from there. So that was kind of a backwards path into this whole thing. And straight to lightning. That's an interesting path. Yeah, we, um, we had a, I was working on a healthcare app at the time and we were paying people over PayPal, mainly in South America to do data entry for us. And you would think at the, we were paying very well, 15 to $20 an hour 
but there's something mm-hmm. about the work that people just would not stick around. It was, it was so boring or it was just hard enough where people would have a hard time doing it at say 20 hours a week doing just very repetitive mm-hmm. work. So we, um, as soon as I read about lightning, I went, okay, this is worth experimenting on. And so we built a system that would allow people to do the work in return for getting paid with lightning. And that was right around 2018. So we were probably one of the early uh, real life use cases where we were paying people in real life to do work and then taking that work and using the output of that work. And then, um, uh, Brian Murray, who is with Craft Ventures, called and said, hey, or, or sent in, I, I posted an email form because I fit, assumed, hey, maybe some of these people who are doing work for Lightning, work for Lightning anonymously are having problems. I'll put up a support form on our page. And then the mm-hmm. first person to fill it out was actually Brian. So that's how we met. And then we've been working together ever since on this idea. Um, and so uh, stack work is the for-profit part of what we do and pays the bills and Sphinx is a completely open source. Um, you know, there's no revenue model really behind Sphinx itself. I think there will be very val- valuable businesses built on top of it, but they might not mm-hmm. even be businesses, right? You might be just a person doing your own podcast or, um, you know, your own OnlyFans or whatever it is. Like it's just mm-hmm. the raw materials for interacting with people in a peer-to-peer way. But if you're going to build an audience, say, for your podcast, why would you build your whole foundation of your future, have all the benefits of uncensorable money, but then build your audience on a platform that can censor you in a second? That makes no sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's kind of what's happening uh, to a large extent now. You know, Twitter can switch you off immediately. So can uh, YouTube, so can all of these uh, other companies that people are sort of rely on for their income. And, you know, that that is a, a real draw when you have something that is open source and something that cannot censor. And I think that's really the way that a lot of these content creators and people are going to sort of start moving towards because it just makes sense. And I guess the the one thing is just getting that network effect and getting people on there with the sort of ideas you're talking about, being able to use it in so many different ways. I, I can't see it a problem long term, but how do you view getting people into it getting people to use it and wrap their head around it do you have some sort of idea of how that plays out over the coming years yeah i i mean part of me feels like the whole history rhymes thing if you look back on aol and CompuServe, people will say Mm -hmm. the same thing about the world wide web so aol and CompuServe were so far ahead of the web the web was a joke it was gray with black text and some horrible picture. They didn't even have center alignment. Everything was jammed on the left side of the page. There were no line breaks. There was like the blink tag was the fanciest thing you could do. And then you go to AOL and man, there's music and there's chimes going off and all your friends are there. They had instant messenger. Why would you ever leave this amazing wall garden? That's only whatever it was, $9 a month. And they were carpet bombing the world where their cds with this whole thing of get on this thing get on this thing and decentralization always wins so mm. there's just it's an inevitability and you can't change human nature and you can't fight 
human creativity on mass. And so anything that is funneled through decision makers, I believe, and this is a good thing, that there's something in your amygdala that goes off and goes, hey, I'm a serf in this person's kingdom. And no matter how many followers you have on Instagram, no one gives a crap because you are a slave to that system. And you're just mm -hmm. winning the video game that they set up for you to play. And you're done whenever they say you're done. And they know it. And in the back of their head, it's like there's that term, the worried wealthy. They're rich in this environment, this artificial environment, but they're worried because they know it's built on paper and they need to get out of there. And that's, that drive will take place. So for us, it's not about this project. It's not about trying to get people to try it or anything, love people to try it and test it. But for instance, the I can't even use our app on Android. It's so slow. I mean, and it's buggy and there are all these issues. Um, but it, it's a little bit of a cavalier attitude of having seen this is just saying that's okay. <laughs> this is... This is, mm -hmm. this is the filter why, let's say, Bitcoin early days, command line transactions. There's no, I mean, think about how far the wallets and hardware have come, right? The early adopters, mm -hmm. um, the early adopters will walk through walls if you have something that's valuable enough for them to do. And the easier mm -hmm. you make it, the further out that funnel you're going, you're letting more and more people experience it without as much pain, which sounds good. But in the early days, it's better to self-filter out the people who really need and want something and recognize it. So mm -hmm. I actually don't mind that there are problems. I don't want to waste people's time unnecessarily. We try not to make any statements about how easy it is or anything. We, we, <laughs> we don't make any claims. It's like beta software that we're just making up as we go along and um but our intentions are here and we're we know where we're going and what we're trying to make um but and at some point if it's successful no one will remember that we started any of this it'll just be people building on top of it and in a couple years does anyone talk about the people who created css or or really figured out a lot of these programming things. That's the kind of picks and shovels part of what we're working on. We're just building these little pieces and people will combine mm -hmm. them in super creative ways, but that will beat AOL and CompuServe and that will beat Instagram. It will beat any of these centralized systems that um, did an amazing job of showing people what it's like, just like AOL did. Would the web have succeeded without something like that? I, it's arguable. You can't, argue a null hypothesis but it's sort of like arguable yeah they definitely helped but it's a mm -hmm. stepping stone along the path right so keeping it open obviously then is important for that and so my, my question would be where you're at now with it if you have someone come along someone creative someone with an idea and they say to you look I have the time and I have a team. I want to build this, uh, I don't know, for example, Instagram competitor and it's a sap per pick or whatever. Is that something they can just straight away build on top of what you've built or would they have to say, look, can we sort of work with you so that it's integrated into the platform? It's really step-by-step step for us where we don't feel like we're able to support people well on that effort. People mm -hmm. have figured out how to build all kinds of crazy stuff on it already using just the front end tools. 
but getting in the first thing that we would love to see people experiment with are the bots. So we copied the discord bot syntax. So you can mm-hmm. almost copy and paste uh, a bot from discord and change a couple things and it'll run inside of a tribe. So mm-hmm. you could do something like a poll inside. So anything you've seen in telegram or discord, it's programmatically possible to do inside of a tribe. Um, so we've talked about, Poker games is the first thing I think that would be really fun. Get in a tribe. Mm. You know, you could be part of your podcast audience. And part of the fun is just meeting people who are like-minded, who are attracted to the content. And then say, hey, do you want to play poker on Friday night? And there's no bank holding your pot. There's no third-party site or anything like that. It's completely peer-to-peer. So that's the kind of thing that you could do and anyone could really do and program. And then will there be other clients? Will there be other tribe types of tribes uh it's anyone can write that stuff it's just that in terms of us documenting things and this is our first open source project so we're doing 50 things wrong i'm sure already just making it easier for people to code against something but we feel like we're still in the phase of making the primitives work let's say we get a million people onto this thing and 80 percent are on android that's 80% of the people who wouldn't, who are using something that I can't use myself. That doesn't feel mm. great, right? So we're not trying to skip the steps that need to happen. And so we're porting Android from React Native to uh, a native language that runs much faster and, and works much more smoothly and Tor native support and everything. I'm actually, I just built the Tor native version this morning. It's working great. Nice. So yeah, so that's what we're working on. And we try not to, skip the steps because we know this will happen and it'll happen at scale and you just have to grind it out. It's just, there are really no shortcuts that I've seen ever work. (laughs) You pay at some point, you pay at some point and you can pay now when it's tiny or you pay later when you're trying to fix it with millions of people. And that's really no fun. Uh, stressful yeah it's a nice approach uh, it, it feels like the bitcoin way to get things sorted um, and working and it's not all, all about the fluff and the advertising and going out and saying what you're doing it's actually doing it and building something that's that works and the foundations are solid and um, it, it's very refreshing to see that it's very refreshing to be around people who are thinking that way is it something that you have found uh, a relief moving from a more traditional world into, I assume it's basically Bitcoin only stuff you're doing now, if you're doing stack work and this, or or you still sort of have one foot in, in fiat culture. Well, the only touch point we have with fiat is the bill, you know, paying our bills on the Stackwork side. And we take, if you think about, I can describe Stackwork a little bit because we just touched on it yeah, before. It, I'm doing a terrible, terrible job as a host here. No, oh, I love. <laughs> I'm just enjoying the chat. I just love chatting, so it's fun. Um, so stack work is harder for people to grasp, but I think it is actually almost a bigger idea than Sphinx is at this point. So, um, but stack work really is what came out of the early experimentation of doing this data entry work. We figured out very quickly that if we ask someone to, let's say, transcribe. 70 fields and put them into a screen on your phone or on your computer just it it, the accuracy and the mental work to do that was would be make the failure rate of that task too high 
And so what we did was we figured out how to programmatically, it's almost like pre-digesting or pre-chewing food. So we actually break a complex task into its most minute steps. So think about Henry Ford building a car factory. Instead of having one person who knows how to build the whole car, his innovation, of course, was to divide it up into very digestible tasks. You're the screwdriver guy, you're the wrench guy. And so Mm -hmm. with this, we did the same thing with, with knowledge work. And so it'll literally be a question saying, um, is this a picture of a dog or is this a square? Um, and then put those pieces. So we break it up into those tasks, give those tasks to people so they can do them on their phone. They get paid Satoshis for doing every single task. And then at the end, the software puts the pieces back together into an answer that we send back to the customer. So one customer we we've done projects for does these process of trying to tell if something's a fake um, handbag, right? Let's say, is this a real Gucci bag? Well, training Mm -hmm. someone to identify whether it's fake or not, that person might take three to four minutes and look at 25 to 30 different attributes on that bag down to the stitching style on the inside what is the language on the little white label in there? What What's the material? There's They can very rapidly go through those decisions as a trained human, but how many of those experts are there in the world? Very few. So what we do is take their brain and say, all right, well, what are you doing? I'm gonna, we're gonna painstakingly write down the flow chart of your brain. And then as you make those decisions, we're gonna note down the trees that you go through. If yes, go here. If no, then full stop, it's fake. And it turns out that we can send a tiny picture of the stitching to someone and say, does this stitching look like this stitching, the real one? And that person go, yes, they have no idea that they're working on whether it's a fake Gucci bag. And computer models are still terrible at stuff like that. But a human can do it in five seconds, three seconds, look at it and go, yeah, that's the same or no, that's not the same. And so that's 10 Satoshis for that job, 20 Satoshis for that job. And then that person working somewhere in the world can earn Bitcoin. And I would argue that for 99% of the people who signed up for Stackwork, this is the first Bitcoin and they never knew what a Satoshi was. That's our most common question is what is a Satoshi and what do I do with it? Uh, They Mm -hmm. just know that they can earn something of value. And so that's how Stackwork works. It's dividing up the tasks, giving them to people around the world, letting them on their own time with their own phone do the task and earn Satoshi. So we are, the fiat touch point there is the company is paying us in US dollars. We buy Bitcoin. We put Bitcoin into lightning channels. The people do the tasks, transfer the Bitcoin to Satoshi's over lightning to their Sphinx wallet or whatever they're using. And that is basically for that end user, instead of like most people going to a KYC exchange like Coinbase or something and turning fiat into Bitcoin through that exchange, uh, these people are literally able to turn their free time into Bitcoin. And so that's incredible. That's a different on-ramp. Um, and it really has the benefit, I think, of dropping Bitcoin into remote countries, into people who don't have Twitter necessarily, or don't have the time to save money, go to a, an exchange, learn about the value of Bitcoin, 
take money that they need to pay bills every day, carve it out and say, yeah, I'm going to buy this asset that goes crazy on price and I'm going to hold on to it until it raises in value. Is that a realistic path? Is that a fair shot at getting into Bitcoin for people around the world? I, I don't, I don't, that's a tough pathway can be done, but that's a, that's a really rough set of hurdles to get over. So is it a benefit to lower those hurdles? I think so. I don't want to automatically say it's good, but I do think that it's at least interesting. Um, and when we go, we talked about the censorship thing before, well, part of censorship is you just never hear from a lot of people around the world because they're not connected to this entire hive brain that we have out there um, mm -hmm. with all of these uh, social graphs and everything. So maybe the original censorship is accidental that you just aren't even on the radar. Um, so, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. There's, there's a few things in there. I mean, firstly, it's helping connect people and earn sats who otherwise wouldn't probably have exposure to Bitcoin. And generally I, I see that as a good thing. People having exposure to it, like you say, it connects people who would otherwise not be able to participate generally in, in some of the ideas and, and what's going on. And it may be that they're just doing some micro tasks at first and they're earning some Satoshis, but it might get them curious to, to think, well, what is this? And, and, you know, is it something I want to hold on to not just uh, exchange for goods or for fiat? Like maybe they actually see that this is something that is of more interest and that's probably a better way for people to learn by actually using it than just you know i know people who have bought a lot of bitcoin they store it on an exchange they have fucking no idea about the network side of this they don't really care they just go number go up that's all yeah. i want is number yeah. go up and then i want to buy this car and that's fine but it's it, to me the way of introducing people uh, the way you're doing it is much more interesting. And, and it's people who I kind of want them involved. You know, I want people who have had different life experiences. I want people who might have had it a little bit harder. I want people who aren't just uh, got it sat there just so that they can get a different car or some other bullshit. Like we want real people who uh, who have ideas to be entering the space. That's what, when it's really exciting. That's 100%. Really, I mean, it's if we're going through this incredible transformation at the base layer, and that person buying it for the car is playing a role in Bitcoin. It's part of price discovery, mm, yeah, hundred percent. They're playing their role. It's not as interesting as it could be, but I'm not going to knock that. That uh, that, that that's, a, that's something that needs to happen. And when that number mm -hmm. does go up, and we saw it a lot over the holiday period when um, the price of Bitcoin went up, and some stack workers had left some balance in their accounts of doing the work they can volunteer. They can voluntarily withdraw periodically whenever they want. And um, they noticed that the value went up because they hadn't withdrawn and spent it. And then we started hearing more commonly, I try not to spend, I actually leave it on stack work because I won't spend it. And then when I withdraw it to spend it, I really try to do everything I can to spend other stuff first before I spend this because they absolutely saw a huge ramp up in price. I mean, they went five to six times up from when they earned it in the fall. And we've had people on the system for over a year. So some of the people were earning Satoshis when it was $5,000. So you're seeing a, a 10, 11 X growth on the asset. So that little, could we tell someone that in an article and would they get it? Maybe. 
But if you turned your time into Satoshi's, then you see the value go up, then that's a more visceral learning than anyone describing it to you. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And the type of people that are doing this kind of work, I think from a previous discussion we'd had, you'd said mainly it is abroad. And I think you said you're sending phones out. Is that right? Uh, just to give a bit of a clearer picture for people so they understand how, how this sort of the flow works. Where, where are you finding the people who are earning the sats and, uh, and how do you go about doing that? Yeah, it really was thanks to Elizabeth Stark and a couple other people who tweeted about what we were doing very early. And I don't think, I mean, we've never posted anything publicly. Uh, we just put up a webpage at Stackwork, S-T-A-K-W-R-K.com that's really readable and explains what we do, I think, last Friday. So this was, um, we, we have plenty of people who want to do the task. And now our goal is to spread the word to companies that need this work and get that out onto our system. And so mm -hmm. one of the hurdles that we heard from people was that they actually didn't have a phone. And so um, a smartphone to be able to do the task. So we've started to actually buy phones for people. And then we put all the bookmarks and Sphinx on the phone and then send it out to people so that they can do the tasks. And they, it takes about 20 minutes a day for six to eight weeks to own the phone outright. And everything okay. extra you get to keep and is part of the, the earnings that you get. Uh, and people are earning five, 15. We limit the number of tasks per person per day because we don't want someone just sitting there 10 hours a day would not be good for anyone. And so mm -hmm. we... Um, we see just when we check, you know, we look at it and go, okay, five, 10, $15 a day on the high end is about right for us in mm -hmm. terms of targeting how much earnings per person, because we'd rather see more people earning $10 a day than one person earning $100 a day. Yeah, you get more people involved. Um, and like you say, I suppose it would probably be some people who would just sit there all day and night. There are times in life where you just need money you need, yeah. you need uh you need to earn and there's no other option and and then all the ideas about caring for oneself uh goes out the window you just work i guess that that can kind of be dangerous so it's probably a good thing to rotate and i'm sure if someone was that desperate they uh they can go under other names unless you take id and that kind of stuff i assume yeah, we can. We really try to use the referral system now that we have a good base. We have just under 20,000 people registered. And it's kind of no one who registered early knew what this was about. And we're able to really jump in in terms of trying to scam it. We think we've gotten rid of a lot of the people who were who were trying to just test it out. I mean, I'm sure there's people in there who are doing using the system in ways um, we don't expect, but we we now have a pretty good auditing system where if you do poor work or you know repeatedly don't do the jobs the way the customer wants them done, then you get you lose your login. And uh, then by having the referral system, you get new people in and spreading that around. It's much harder to actually get back in if you were doing a bad job before. So we've tried to make it somewhat hard to civil attack the system with fake fake user accounts as much as we can, but it's not. It's not, it's all part of the process having to weed some of that stuff out.
Mm. Yeah. With all the stuff that you're doing, I mean, it's it sounds incredibly busy to do the things that you're doing. Are you still getting a little bit of time to do some creative stuff? I know, obviously, you like your artwork. And like you said, you've worked creating previously. Is that something you get any time for or uh, or miss? Uh, you know, I, I have kind of a prioritization where I do the things that I, ha- I would and best able to do at the moment. So for me, creative outlet is working on product is so creative. And I have two uh, young boys, I mean, 13 and 14. So we spend a ton of time outdoors. Uh, We try to hunt and camp and fish as much as humanly possible. And so I prioritize that. And when I'm older, painting, playing the violin again, all those things that I used to do that I know I'll enjoy doing. I'm okay with waiting on that a little bit. If I prioritize this now, I won't have 13 and 14 year olds to have fun with and hang out in the woods for forever. Right. So I just try to prioritize things that way, even if Mm -hmm. uh, it's temporary, it's okay that later I know I'll get back to those things. And so I'm not, it's not particularly stressful, but I do, I mean, talking to you is I really do miss the, the, the visual art side of things. And I really feel like I'm, I watch for who do we think is, and maybe you have some ideas, but who do you think's doing um, the most interesting job of looking at this moment in time and capturing it in whatever art form? Um, I know you're mm. voting somewhat with the people you feature, but what are you seeing out there these days? I think it's really hard to say who's like most finger on the button everyone sort of hits it slightly differently i i would say some of the memers in the space are doing a particularly good job they are pointing out some of the crazy things that's happening in the traditional world um in a fun jokey way whilst also pointing people towards uh, a better system that to me sort of really shows what this space is about like there's a lot of smart people but they don't take themselves too seriously and they all have a common goal so they'll work together and i think yeah some of the memers are are particularly good at that um one of our own self-banked we've got rd and many others that we featured who have just really nailed that it would be wild if memes are the new or memes have been around forever but the the digital meme being the new high art form. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. I mean, it, it is certainly an art form. I don't know. It's very good to convert people. Some of the art in the spaces, obviously, as well, and the music and, and video is, is particularly powerful as well. So that's why we try and get so many different options for people to have a look at because everyone's different. It hits them differently. You know, for me, someone like Cypherpunk now, um, I don't know if you uh, have seen his art before, but he was, I think, the first artist we featured. He's someone I absolutely love his work. Um, and uh, Jonat Vax recently, and Mr. Crown, obviously, who uh, we've talked about because he does our website, but he also does incredible work with his artwork as well. So we, we just, there's almost too much to really pin down who is going to be the one that people look back in 20 years. Maybe it's all of them. I hope it is. Yeah, maybe back in the day there was, um, you would be exposed to so much less if you think about how many digital images or thoughts or memes were exposed to per day. 
the sheer volume and the sources are so varied that maybe it's hard to be nailed down as the one and maybe the whole thing is almost like a meme soup or something that everyone is Mm. contributing to so maybe the wrong question is boiling it down to one creator it's more about uh the whole river of ideas coming out that that's kind of the way i'm looking at it these days yeah for sure i think that's why we've taken this month on month approach across all the categories is that there's just too much so we just try and cherry pick what we see right then that month where we're just like wow this needs to be talked about this needs to be shown and we're going to show it and uh yeah there's just too much it's too vibrant and and these things cross over a lot of people that we're speaking to are creative in so many ways and i can just speaking to you now it's like i'm sure that when you've uh, done what you're doing here in the bitcoin space and when when the kids have grown up, you know, maybe you'll go back to oil painting, and and who knows, block a few hundred blocks down uh, down the road, it might be that we're speaking again. But it's uh, it's not for code. Maybe it's for art or uh, or for music, and that wouldn't surprise me at all with many of the people that I speak to because they are passionate and and they're excited people who want to create. It's kind of interesting because if if we were to picture a hundred years ago, if we showed people washing machines and um, electric scooters and all the things that are time savers to someone who spent a half hour walking for water or an hour washing clothes mm. by hand in a bucket or whatever. I think the perception mm. would be, what do you people do all day? Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the fact that if you broke down wage earning versus whatever, I, I bet you it's just, we just have a similar percentage breakdown dedicated to sleep, earning, eating, whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. And it would, it's kind of odd that we're constantly, despite whatever productivity gains, don't necessarily seem to carve out that time where you're sitting in the woods practicing the violin or something the way you would picture it with the, all these modern conveniences, right? So I wonder mm-hmm. if we'll ever reach that that era or are we are we somehow just uh, enslaved by our own greed to keep working on things? Or, <laughs> I mean, I think for us now, it's about curiosity. It's just, hey, we want to fast forward and see this future exist. And um, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like work. You're just trying to make something exist that you feel like should exist. And then whatever happens yeah. after that is just interesting. It's just like, I want to see the end of this movie. Um, and, <laughs> and that means, I mean, to talk about health a lot, but it's why wouldn't you focus on making sure you're around and you feel good? And then mm-hmm. you try to build toward the future. So you're trying to extend out your productive and happy lifestyle or, or, or life days. And then you're trying to pull the future inward by building things and exposing things to people. And a lot of the work here that I see that memers do and collecting the artwork together and showing people and exposing them in an emotional way instead of a factual way. Uh, I think that's mm-hmm. pulling the future toward us now so that we can experience this as more people understand that something big is going on here um so i would say there's people out there like the plan b or whatever it's called the uh, stock to flow model mm-hmm. right so there's these charts and people there's certain people that will look at those numbers and be convinced then there's other people who will read mises institute stuff right and be convinced from words and then there'll be mm-hmm. other people i think that are just what the entry point for them will be seeing this cool video or something like that or um 
a movie or, or something that really is more of an emotional bridge mm-hmm. than this kind of frontal brain, like Excel spreadsheet type stuff. So I wonder, mm-hmm. I wonder if this is the role that 21ism is playing. It's just tapping into the emotional side. I hope so, because the emotional side is is something really important. And it, it you know made me think when you're saying, well, we've got all of these washing machines, dishwashers, all these things that do things for us, and we should have more time, but we don't. We have less generally because, well, probably partly because of inflation and the money's fucked, but also it's just kind of the, the way that we have wired ourselves or the society's moving, which is very, very high time preference. It's not really getting back to nature. It's not grounding yourself and realizing what's important, which, you know, is your family and your health and your time and and enjoying time doing what you want to do. And I think that should be something that people think about emotionally, like the fact that people can't spend time with their family and got to work several jobs and they're not happy. And then they go and spend money on some you know, stupid shit that isn't going to really make them happy. I'm hoping that we can unlock or open a window so people can see that this is possible and that there is a better, more enjoyable way to live. It seems certainly to me, even though like at the moment I completely neglect my health, like, and I I, I know I do it just because I'm too busy and, and trying to build stuff and, and sort of get things off the ground. I know I do it, but I, I know I can't do it for long because everything has to be lined up. You have to have a balance and the whole world outside looks very unbalanced at the moment. And I'm hoping we can restore some of that. Well, I, I didn't figure out the health prioritization until I was 40. So I can emphasize that when you're building and, and focused on something, it's really easy to ignore it. But if it's at all possible, just try to carve out 5%, 10% of your brain mm-hmm. space and time, and you'll get back 25%. That's the funny part is that you will, through sleep and food and just, I mean, all the impacts on how your dopamine system works and everything, you'll get back easily tenfold the investment. It's the easiest no-brainer compounding return you can get. And I think that this is why the Bitcoiner health intersection and food intersection is so popular is because once you start questioning things, you start questioning advice from all these different sources. And so, yeah, I mean, everyone finds it in their own time, right? But if you just set it as a goal to try to do 5% of your research, just follow a couple people on Twitter that are talking about these things. Um, I read a book when it came out called The Big Fat Surprise by Nina Teicholz. And Mm -hmm. that got me started down the rabbit hole of questioning health advice. So it sounded absurd. I mean, it, it sounded crazier than what bitcoin sounded like uh at the time (laughs) and and then you you go down this rabbit hole and you realize wait we've been wrong about cholesterol we've been wrong about all these different things and uh, it's just infuriating except it has a more immediate (laughs) return on on health and lifestyle i mean how how much more real does it get i would argue that that's even more immediate impact than than unsound money um which is kind of a maybe a second order fix will be to fix these things. But why wait? Just do it now. It feels incredible. You sound like you went through a a halving cycle of your own (laughs) by the sounds of it. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. And you, yeah, it just, you can't ring that bell hard enough without, but at the same time, you can't force people to do anything. So it's just, 
you can't force someone to appreciate what Bitcoin is. You can't force someone to appreciate uh, that probably there's things they can do to optimize their health um, that they don't even they don't even see the benefit, right? Because they've never experienced mm-hmm. this kind of pop before of, whoa, I didn't even know I could wake up and feel that way every day. That's what I feel like is the aha moment that would be great for people to have on the health front. And with um, Lightning and what we're trying to do, I, I just really feel like the peer-to-peer communications, peer-to-peer commerce, and what can you apply that to? I mean, we really did come at this from a health and food, where food equals health, health is food. And Mm -hmm. uh, being able to get the right advice on food through an uncensored platform, because a lot of the advice about keto and all carnivore and all these things do sound outlandish to the establishment Mm -hmm. and they will censor it and they do. And there's all these people that want you to eat soy or whatever it is. And they truly believe that might be healthy or they're paid to believe it or whatever. It doesn't really matter. It's just bad. (laughs) It's fundamentally not backed by science and it's bad advice. And so um, could the could something like sphinx help people get that advice i would love that and then because it's lightning could you pay for that advice and then more people would be incentivized to work in health coaching due to that and and lead people from where they are to where they could be i think there will be a role for lots of people to have that job because it's so Mm -hmm. many people are wrong about things they're just lost or listening to you know, the NIH or in our case, you know, the um, FDA about what they should believe. Well, there could be an army of people that are around for 50 to 100 years reteaching how this stuff works. And then the second step would be, well, it turns out we're thought what was healthy. It didn't turn out to be the case. Well, it turns out we're growing the wrong food and we're growing it in the wrong way. Could you actually fix that? So that's the future I want to pull forward. And it feels closer but still far away and but i I really do think that that's what we'll see i just want to see it Mm. sooner rather than later yeah it makes sense to me that it would with the sort of things like uh, untapped growth is doing with what you're doing with all these ideas uh, on diet and health that fly around it feels like all the information is there just even just within bitcoin twitter and it's just using a platform to link those people and exchange value because it is so valuable to understand diet to understand health um you know you talk about low time preference well you haven't really got low time preference if you're doing what i'm doing and destroying your body because there's no good in having these sats if you're dead yes you know? <laughs> yes <laughs> that's it's it's fucking stupid can we say that as many times as possible because if you think about it, that would be the ultimate tragedy. Here's all these people who saw it, figured it out early, gathered it, but then didn't, and they have all this Bitcoin, but they didn't actually fix their health. Oh, that would be, that would be ironic and tragic at the same time, because they have all the tools <laughs> that you would need to have to question all these things and obviously motivation. Mm-hmm. And you're not afraid to be laughed at because you saw this thing that everyone was laughing at. Yeah, every piece is there, no excuse. So just start. Don't don't do tiny things every day. Works much better than some sort of dramatic on New Year's, I will change everything about how I eat. That <laughs> and these kind of big goals have artificial big dopamine spikes. So you actually your brain and when you think of a huge goal, I'm going to I'm going to bench press 300 pounds, right? 
you've mm-hmm. never lifted a weight in your life. The the goal of saying, hey, I'm going to bench 300 pounds. I don't even know if that's a lot or not. I obviously don't bench, but it, it's uh, <laughs> it, like uh, this is this saying that goal out loud. Your brain plays it through as if you did it. And it feels good to say that's a goal and do it, even though you haven't done a damn thing. So mm-hmm. we just worked with people who were trying to say, hey, don't go for that free fake spike of the reward cycle saying the goal Mm -hmm. a big goal which feels good but nothing ever happens it's way better to just say hey every day i'm going to do the following tiny 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 little things and then grow them incrementally over time but you get returns for those tiny actions it's just incredibly hard to stay disciplined and to do those things every day so uh, anyway, there's a whole industry about how to do that, but habit stacking and, and all that habit kind of thing. stacking is definitely the way to go. Um, and we try to teach that with the kids as much as possible, which is what we think they should be teaching in school or things like that. How do you, how do you actually impact change on yourself? Most people have no idea, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I could never give up blank. Yeah, you can if you really wanted to. It's it's there's just a methodology to it. Most people fail because they're going about it in the wrong way. And it's not one size fits all. So, yep, it's tough. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't mean to cut it short, but I should probably hop off soon just because I've got a call coming up and I'm actually yeah, a little no bit problem. late. But yeah. No, I'm, I'm sorry I kept you. I, uh, I knew we were going to keep this to an hour, but I was enjoying it so much. I, uh, <laughs> I kept I it over. It. So, no, I, I appreciate you coming on. I really, really am excited to see what comes down the line, everything that you're doing. And it's just a pleasure to have someone who is forward thinking and just trying to push the space forward. And it seems you have a lot of interest in a lot of different rabbit holes. And yeah, been an absolute pleasure to uh, to host this. And we're very, very proud to uh, have you on 21ism for Block 8. Thank you so much for including me. I'm really proud to be a part of that. That's really awesome. I've admired the site from afar. And I, I honestly say I never thought I would get this call. So I really appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. All right, Paul. Well, uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks so much for this. And uh, I'm sure we'll speak soon. Thanks, Max. I appreciate it.
honey melchie like the bottom of my cereal took your honey now she fancy about to scream on you not hard to find even around a million people talk is cheap mom's the money making vehicle free not brainwashed don't ask for permission test drives turn into road tripping going fast didn't care about a speed bump losing weight came too late for the free lunch buy a dishwasher or have some kids to do all the work so bad when you looked at her your wallet hurt think a baby's crying that way you forget about it do what it takes good or bad don't feel weird about it i bet it all on black and did it on a hunch one that with intuition it wasn't a stunt acting silly probably cause i spiked the punch it wasn't cute little kids was throwing up grandma and shame in fact my name she never mentioned my girlfriend hates me said she never gets attention i'm feeling judged what's with all the condescension doing it my way impossible missions i mean i know i'm not perfect the thing to ask yourself is it worth it Do we say goodbye?